Please take a Bible and open up to John 3. We're continuing our series through the Gospel of John, be in chapter 3 today. What do you think of the statement, ignorance is bliss? Maybe it depends on the circumstances. Uh, you are headed back to work after a meal at Chipotle and you've got lettuce on your teeth. Or you've got something hanging out of your nose or something else. Do you feel in that moment like ignorance is bliss? Or do you want someone to point it out to you? Do you want someone to, to spare you the embarrassment? Or is the conversation itself embarrassment enough that you'd rather just not know uh, and just go through the rest of your day with that problem? Or, or what if it's not just a temporary embarrassment like that? What if it's something longer, more more regular. Maybe you regularly have bad breath or body odor or something like that or some annoying habit. Is ignorance bliss or do you want someone, hopefully kindly, to, to point that out to you if it's something that's fixable, curable, treatable? Maybe it's not an embarrassing thing. Maybe it is a health thing. If you had some sort of disease that if left untreated would lead to your death. But if you knew about it and got proper treatment, your life would be saved and spared. Would you think ignorance is bliss? I just I don't want to hear the bad news. I don't want to hear the diagnosis. Or would you want a doctor who gives the honest but difficult conversation that would lead to life for you? And in each of these cases, as the stakes grow higher, it's actually harder to hear that bad news. It's, it's harder to hear that you have a deadly disease than it is to hear that you have lettuce in your teeth. But yet, while the stakes grow higher and it's more difficult to hear, also the benefits of knowing that difficult news become more valuable the, the results of, of what you could be spared from. In, in the passage that we're looking at today, the stakes are even higher. It's not physical life and death. It's spiritual life and death, eternal life or death. And, and, and the person, Nicodemus, that we're going to read about, hears what to him was a startling diagnosis, a difficult diagnosis. He'd given his entire life to his religion and, and being, he was a leader in that and, and his life was, was put together well and he was well respected. And yet Jesus says to him some words that would have been really difficult to hear. I'm going to put on the screen the last verse of chapter 3. This is how it ends. And imagine this diagnosis. It says, the one who blank, we'll see what it says later, the one who has this has eternal life. But the one who blank will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. Everyone around Nicodemus thought, this was, a, this was a very religious, moral, good man. And yet Jesus can see to the heart. 
That's actually how John 2 ends. It says that Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He knew what was in each person. And then we hear this story of Nicodemus. Jesus knows what's in our heart. He sees beyond the external. And let's hear the diagnosis he gives to Nicodemus. Let's start reading chapter 3, verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time to be born? And Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. This was a group of religious leaders among the Jews. He knew the scriptures. He taught the scriptures. He had organized his entire life around this religion and, and would have taken high pride and, and value in the, the people group that he was born into. He was born into this, this group that was God's promised family. And yet Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And Nicodemus, is, he says, how can this be? And he presses on, on Jesus, probably using some, some sarcasm can, can I enter back into my mother's womb to be born again? I'm, I'm fully grown. And I don't think Nicodemus was thinking that that was literally what Jesus was trying to teach. But he's, Nicodemus is saying, this seems impossible, what you are describing, that, that I must be born again, that I need new life. And, and, and Jesus is saying to him, Nicodemus, even with all of your knowledge, you do not really know. Even with everything you have read, you do not really see. Nicodemus, even with all of your religion, you are still in the dark. You must be born again. So Nicodemus says, how? But before answering how, Jesus says to him, he's, he's teaching him, here's what I mean by what born again is. Here's, here's what born again means. Because in verse five, he, he says it basically the same way. Verse three, he says, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In verse five, he says, truly I tell you, he starts it the same way. Unless someone is, and now he's gonna say, born of water and the spirit, and then it ends the same way. He cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so comparing those two verses, what Jesus is doing is saying, born again is the same thing as being born of water and the Spirit. And so what does it mean to be born of water and the Spirit? 
Jesus is using an Old Testament image here to describe the kind of new birth, the kind of new life that we need. You could use the word regeneration. Sometimes you hear that, that what we need is for God to regenerate our hearts. A generation is a, it's a group of people born around the same time. It has this idea of birth in it. And so to regenerate is to give new life. And Jesus is saying, you must have new life. So what, what kind? Well, in the Old Testament, there are several different places you could go to look at this image of a washing, a cleansing. David, King David, when he was in sin, he prays this prayer of confession from Psalm 51 where he says, wash me and I will be whiter than snow. And there are other places in the Old Testament where you see this image of we need a new spirit, a new heart, new life. And that image shows up several times. And in fact, the promise of the new covenant in the Old Testament is they were looking forward to this day when the Messiah would come and bring this new covenant. That, that was what was part of the new covenant is that we would, God would put his spirit in us. He would take out our hearts of stone and give us hearts of flesh. And so there's, there's one key place in the Old Testament where both water and spirit show up right together in the same passage, and that's Ezekiel 36. Jesus is going to tell Nicodemus, you should have known these things. You know the scriptures. And so what is it in the scriptures that Nicodemus should have known? Yes, I must be born again. Ezekiel 36, verse 25 says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Nicodemus, haven't you read this? You know the Old Testament. You know the promises of the new covenant. This type of new birth is absolutely essential to see the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God, to enter into God's family, to be called a child of God. We must be born into his family. It is a spiritual cleansing, a spiritual birth. Ezekiel 37, the next chapter, gives the, the image, if you're familiar with it, of this valley of dry bones and this, this vision of, of those bones coming to life once again and, and the bodies forming around them and this image of, of how in our sin we are dead, hopeless, helpless, unless God gives us new life, new spiritual life. In John 1, verse 12, this is just a couple chapters back, John, as he's writing this gospel, he, he gives a prologue. And in that prologue, he's, he's introducing us to Jesus. But he also, there in verse 12, introduces this theme of being born into God's family through our faith in Jesus Christ. It says, but to all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of natural descent, or of the will of flesh, or the will of man, but of God. So it's a birth that's, 
That's not a natural birth that he's talking about. It's a, it's a new birth, birth into God's family. So maybe you're here today, first time. Maybe first time in a church in a long time or potentially even ever. Or you've been coming for a few weeks, coming for a while, and you're here partially because you feel like something's missing. You're searching for truth, searching for answers. Something feels broken. There's been something happening in your heart, in your mind, where you're feeling like there's got to be more. My life has fallen apart. I've, I've, I've made a mess of it. Overwhelmed by your own sinfulness or just feeling broken, feeling lost. And, and maybe you've even tried to turn your life around. Maybe you're here because this is, this is a step you're taking. I, I'm turning over a new leaf. I'm going to try again. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to try to fit in with a group of people that look religious, that look like everything's right in their life. And, and maybe, that will, maybe that will do it for me. And Jesus says, no, you don't need a, a tweak. You don't need a, a change of heart what you need is a new heart. You don't just need a new resolution. You need new life. You need God to come in and, and wash you and make you clean. You need, you need him. You must be born again. Or maybe you're not like the person I just described. This isn't your first time here. You've been in church since you were born. All your life. You, you, you identify more like someone like Nicodemus. You know the Bible. You've read it a lot. You know the scriptures. You, you compare yourself to people around you and you feel like, I'm actually doing pretty well. My life's put together. God would be proud of me for how good I am. And so there's the self-righteousness and the pride. But perhaps you've been doing that all of your life and never been born again. And like, like Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, Nicodemus is putting himself in this, this posture of evaluation. He says, he says to Jesus, we know that you are a man from God. And Jesus says, you don't know anything. Jesus says, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless, unless he's done this work in your heart and caused you to be born again, given you new life, opened up your eyes. Jesus says, you don't truly know. And so whether you are aware right now of your unrighteousness or whether you are someone that's filled with self-righteousness, we must be born again. We don't need, when we can't clean up our act, what we need is God to, to wash us from all of our uncleanness and from our impurities. We need him to regenerate us. We need him to, to take our hearts of stone and to give us hearts of flesh. These images that he's using in his words saying, saying that you can't just fix this on your own. You need God to give you new life. What we need desperately is him. We don't need to try harder again. We need to be born again. And I'm confident that in a room like this today, 
There are some here, and God's, God's drawing you to him. You're feeling something. You feel the, the conviction, maybe some concern about your life. And, and just the fact that you're here, you might just say, I don't, I don't know where this came from. I don't know where these, these thoughts, these feelings came from. And like, like Jesus said, just like the wind blows and you don't, you don't always know where it comes from or where it's going. He says it's the same way with the Holy Spirit. And God's Spirit might be working in your heart right now in surprising ways that you're just feeling like, I don't, I don't know why, why I'm feeling this way, why I'm thinking this way, why I'm concerned, why I feel lost, why I feel broken. And yet at the same time, I feel desire. I feel like this is something that I, I want I want him to change my heart. I want him to change my life. I want a new life. I want eternal life. I want to be God's child. He will do that for you. He'll do that for you today. And, and Nicodemus says, how? How can this be? Twice he asked that question to Jesus. How can this happen? How can these things be? Look at verse 9. That's where he asked it the second time. How can these things be, says Nicodemus? And Jesus says, are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Truly I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. So before giving answer to Nicodemus on how can this happen? How can a person have new life? How can a person be born again? Before doing that, Jesus gives Nicodemus some of his credentials. Nicodemus, you think that I'm a good teacher come from God. But I'm more than that. I'm not just a teacher. I am the only one who has descended from heaven. I'm the only one with the authority to speak of heavenly things. And Nicodemus says, I tell you about earthly things like, like regeneration and the way that God's spirit works here in your life on this earth. I can't, I, can't, I, I can tell you that. I can't even tell you about Heavenly things, about things in God's throne room. And, and Jesus is saying, I am the Son of Man, the God-man who has descended from heaven. I am the one who can speak with authority on these things. You must be born again. And in those first eight verses, eight times the word born shows up. You see it over and over again, born, born, born. And now, as, as Jesus switches and he's going to begin answering Nicodemus on how eight times we'll see the word believe. And so we must be born of the Spirit. We must believe in the Son. So let's begin reading in verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. 
He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. In verse 14, Jesus begins this answer. How can a person be born again? Born from above. Born of the Spirit. Born into God's family. Born into eternal life. How can that new birth even be possible? And the way that he tells it is by pointing back to an Old Testament Example, an Old Testament image. It would have been familiar to Nicodemus, part of his heritage, part of his theological history, that in Numbers chapter 21, there's this story of the Jewish people as they were complaining and angry with God as they were in the wilderness. And because of their rebellion and because of their complaining, God sent poisonous snakes, poisonous serpents, and they were biting them. And it says that many were dying And they turned to God then, seeing that this was judgment. Because of the poison in their hearts, because of the the anger, the rebellion in their hearts, they saw this was judgment. And so they turned to God in repentance, confessing their, their rebellion against him. And God says to Moses, okay, Moses, make a bronze serpent and lift it up on this pole as this image of of faith and and trust in me, tell everyone that as they look on the bronze snake, they will be healed. And Jesus says, just like that, just like they had to look up to that in faith, in the same way, the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, it's one of his favorite titles to refer to himself, the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe in him can have eternal life. This is the the third time, the third image, third Old Testament image that Jesus has used to describe his sacrificial death that would be necessary to bring salvation to the world. In, In John 1, John the Baptist actually speaks of Jesus saying, look, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus is like this sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And in John 2, Jesus describes himself as the temple that will need to be destroyed and then will be resurrected again on the third day. And so this old, this image of of temple, of God's presence and and pointing and and saying, you you destroy this and it's And on the third day, we'll rise again. And here now in in John 3, Jesus is saying, I'm like this Old Testament salvation for God's people. As they looked to the servant, he's saying, now look to me and live 
Look to me in my sacrificial death in your place and you can have eternal life. Jesus is saying, I'm not just a good teacher coming to do some cool miracles, some impressive miracles. No, I am the hope of the world. Look and live. Believe and have new life. Believe and have eternal life. When you see Jesus on the cross, when you read of Jesus and his sacrificial death in our place, we then become aware of the poison in our veins that leads to our death, and we need a savior. We need a rescue. We need help. We need eternal life. And Jesus is saying it's, it's through this belief that anyone and everyone who believes in me has eternal life. And this is what leads us then. We're, so we're, we look to the cross and we see our despair. We see the, the depth of the problem that we have in us. John 3 uses words like perish, condemned already. But yet as we look to the cross, we're also overwhelmed with God's love displayed for us as he gave his only son. This is the this is the most famous verse in all of the Bible. John 3, 16. You see it on signs. You see it on billboards. You see it at sports games. That God loved the world in this way. Or for God so loved the world. Or he loved the world so much that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. See, John 3 is, for Christians, a precious chapter of the Bible that, that, that we look at what Jesus did for us in our place. We see God's love for us displayed as he gave his son, that, that as we believe in him, we have eternal life. But yet it's also a chapter that as you read through it, you see this, these two paths, these two groups of people, one group of people, perish. In that verse, it says, will not perish, but have eternal life. So one group of people have, have this death sentence, referring to eternal death, destruction, separation from God, but another have eternal life. One group of people are condemned. One group of people are not condemned, but are saved. One group of people love darkness, we read in those coming verses. They don't want their evil deeds exposed, and yet another people are drawn to the light, even as that light exposes their sins, but it leads to that, that difficult diagnosis, leads to life leads to eternal life, leads to a new heart, leads to a new way. You jump down to verse 36. This is the one that was on the screen as we started. We have one more summary description. It says, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. As we've heard this passage, this diagnosis would be difficult to hear. We can identify with Nicodemus. At some point, every one of us, if, if God hasn't done this work in your heart already, if you're not already believing in Jesus, every one of us at one point, this is true. 
will not see life. The wrath of God remains on us. And yet, this sobering, difficult diagnosis leads to hope, leads to to joyful life. The diagnosis that that this isn't something we can create in ourselves. This isn't something we work for. This isn't something we can earn. This isn't something that we just try harder to, to accomplish for us to see here. No, the answer, the answer is what God has done as he gave Jesus in our place that all who look to him, who trust in him, have eternal life, that he, he causes us to be born again into God's family, he calls us then his, his children. And you can leave here today knowing, yes, I, I'm not condemned. That weight is gone. The weight of my sin, the despair, the, the hopelessness, the mess. Well, your life will still be a mess, but it'll be a mess with, with new hope, with a changed heart, with a promised future, with new life, with new desires, because he, God, has come into your life and given you eternal life. The promise here that we have in this passage, the good news that we have in this passage is that God promises eternal life instead of wrath, instead of condemnation. He promises eternal life, new life, born again life to all who are born by the Spirit and believe in the Son. Let's pray.